Welcome to episode three of the Sudden History Wrestling Podcast. Again, I'm your host, Earl Smith. This week's show is going to be a little different from the previous two shows. Actually, it's going to be the norm going forward. The majority of the shows will feature interviews with interesting guests, but here and there I'll sprinkle in a show with some sort of breakdown like I did in the first two episodes. Before we get to the meat of the show, let's get a couple of the housekeeping issues out of the way. For updates on the show, you can follow along on Twitter at Sudden History. For me, you can use at D1CW. You can use either of those two accounts to tweet your show feedback or critiques. Also, I can be reached at Earl at D1CollegeWrestling.net. I'd like to thank everyone that's listened to the first two episodes. The show has done great numbers. But as a wrestler at heart, I'd like to do better and get the show more widespread. So if you can, tell a friend, help me get it out there. If you haven't figured out already, you can find the show on Matt Talk Online. My buddy Jason Bryant has a ton of great podcasts available there as well. Please check those out also. Sudden History can be found just about everywhere podcasts are available. You can subscribe on iTunes, and if you feel it deserves one, leave it a good review as well. Okay, now let's get down to it. The first interview for Sudden History ties into my first two episodes, where I listed the top 15 non-NCA champions of the 2000s. Our guest happens to be one of those 15. He was a three-time All-American at Purdue and is currently the head coach of the University of the Cumberlands at NAIA school in Williamsburg, Kentucky, Chris Flieger. Thanks for joining us, Chris. I appreciate you having me. Uh, First of all, tell us a little bit about your program at the University of the Cumberlands and the school itself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, it's my second year down here. It's down in uh, Williamsburg, Kentucky. It's a pretty small town out in in nature, which I love. Um, It's about roughly 1,600 students on campus. Um, We're approaching 10,000 with our online programs. It's a faith-based institution. Um, It's a Baptist school, and uh, we compete in the NAIA. Um, We have a roster size of about 50 guys, Um, but uh, we're looking to build something something good down here. Great. In uh, my first two shows, I did a two-part series about the 15 best wrestlers from the 2000s that did not win an NCAA title. Um, Your list, your name was on that list. It was a list I spent a lot of time researching. I whittled it down from about 40 guys to 15. Um, Generally, as a competitor, it would not be a list that people strive to make, but having about 10 full years since your collegiate career, you know, is that something you can look back on and appreciate now? (laughs) I'm not sure if I should be honored to be on that list or not. Um, You know, it's, uh, man, it's, it's really something I try not to think about a lot. Um, You know, I'm very appreciative of what I got from wrestling and, uh, you know, I'm a true believer and everything happens for a reason. And um, it wasn't in the cards to win it for me, obviously. um, But, I feel like as far as my coaching career goes, probably the best thing is not winning it and learning, you know, a lot of the psychology about why I didn't and, uh, you know, how to get back up on the horse. Um, you know, from a competitor standpoint, I, you know, <laughs> very sad about that, pretty, pretty mad still. But, uh, you know, I've come to grips with it. It is what it is and uh, it definitely helps my coaching career. Um, so it's not something I think about a lot, though. Sure. Um, now, going back to the beginning of your wrestling career, when and why did you start wrestling? Um, the truth of the matter is I thought it was the WWF. Um, you know, I think I, we I all did. <laughs> me, and my, me, me and my buddies, we all went in there and uh, you thought it was WWF. And, 
you know, I wasn't really a big fan of it at first, but uh, my mom didn't let me quit. She made me said, you got to finish out the season and you don't have to go back out next year. But uh, I ended up loving it. And uh, none of my friends went back out, but I went back out the next year and I just, uh, I fell in love with it. And I, you know, I really like the aspect of you, you get out what you put in, you know, it's not necessarily how tall you are or how, uh, how big you are, but uh, you know, really, really what, what you put in, you get out. So. And as a high schooler, you won uh, Pennsylvania state titles as well as national titles at the cadet and junior levels in freestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you end up at Purdue? Because that's usually not a spot for guys with those type of credentials, especially coming from Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's a good question, something I get asked a lot. Um, you know, I came from a really small school, um, you know, in the Big Ten. I, re- I knew I wanted to create the highest level. The Big Ten's the highest level. Um, so Purdue was, uh, you know, had a really a small town feel to it. I liked what uh, the town was like, the school was like. Um, I'm not big into the cities or, you know, large town atmospheres. So I really like that aspect of it. And then, um, you know, when I was in high school, I made the junior world team. I was the only high school kid on the team. And the coach was Jesse Reyes, who was the coach at Purdue. Um, the trials were at Purdue. So I really got to, you know, kind of visit the school early, get to know the coach early. Um, you know, and I, and there wasn't a lot of tradition, but to me, you know, you don't need the tradition to do something, uh, something special. And that's really what I wanted to do. I wanted to build something and know that I made a huge difference. And, um, you know, I wanted to propel a program and all the pieces seemed right. And, you know, I went there and, you know, I loved it there and, you know, I don't regret my decisions, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely, you know, I get to ask that question a lot, but, uh, you know, I think it was a good decision for me. Mm-hmm. Um, jumping ahead to your sophomore season, the 2003 NCAA Finals versus uh, Cornell's Travis Lee, you came in as the undefeated one seed. That match was tied 4-4 late in the third period, and the deciding takedown came after an injury timeout from you. Uh, it mm-hmm. appeared it was a it appeared it was a head injury. He got a quick ankle pick uh, for the win. Just walk us through what happened in that sequence. Yeah, you know, that's, uh, that's probably, I feel like, one of the turning points in my college career. Um, you know, I wish I wouldn't have been undefeated going into that match, to be honest. I felt like uh, I got real conservative, um, you know, scared to lose type of deal. Um, you know, I had gotten uh, dinged in the head pretty good in the semis. Uh, you know, I let it get to me a lot more than it probably should have. Um, something I really use in my coaching is, is talk, talking to guys about the psychology of that. But, uh, you know, it was 4-4, and I had riding time. You know, I had the riding mm-hmm. time at that point. So, um you know, my thought process late in the match, um, you know, started getting kind of overwhelmed. I never felt like I had momentum in the match. I felt like I was the better wrestler. Um, but Lee, I mean, phenomenal pace that he puts on. He's a great wrestler. And, um, you know, he, he played it well and got the momentum going. And, um, you know, I thought I could hold him off. And I'm really good from the overhook. Um, and he was really good from the underhook. But I, I thought, you know, short time, I can't back up. I'm going to get get my overhook, you know, pull him upper body and, uh you know, I, I can ride this match out, and he was better than me in that position at that time. And, uh, you know, definitely uh, a combination of just getting conservative, overwhelmed, um, you know, and trying to chase that perfect season was really, I think, hurt me a lot. Maybe I still would have lost, but uh, so. And you mentioned that was a very important match for your career. Um, how did it affect you? I remember reading that you purposely planned to go up a weight a few years later just to try to meet him mm-hmm. and get some sort of redemption for that loss. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I definitely felt um, I felt like I, I definitely could beat him. I didn't feel like that was a match I should have lost. Um, you know, I, 
that was just kind of how, how I thought about it. Maybe I was wrong, but, um, you know, I definitely wanted to beat him. I, that, that was my goal was, was really just to, to hunt him down and beat him. I felt like he took, you know, just kind of that competitive nature. I felt like he took what was mine, you know, and, um, I was trying to take what was his. So just kind of how things go, but I definitely wanted to hunt him down. Um, you know, and I, I just never, I never got my mindset right back for college. I don't think, um, you know, I had some academic problems and I just never really, it just affected, it affected me for a long time personally, um, wrestling wise. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, really turning point for me. So I just never got back up on that horse. And that's something I really try to talk with our guys about. And, um, yeah, it's just something, something I try to use as a positive now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, kind of going sequentially, you had taken the 2003-2004 season off for an Olympic redshirt. You know, what did that entail, and how did it improve you as a wrestler? Or, you know, mm-hmm. did it even? Because I, I know you got banged up that year, too. Yeah, yeah, I had some injuries, um, you know, and I, I kind of relate those injuries to improper training, to be honest. I didn't take classes, um, you know, for that year. Um, and then I was on a different training schedule than what a college training schedule would be. Um, you know, I didn't do the, you know, didn't get my body in shape like it should have been. I wasn't competing as much. Um, I really lost a lot of focus. I'm a pretty big advocate against Olympic redshirts now, um, you know, unless you're, you know, Kyle Snyder, I think that kid that, that could do it, obviously. But I wasn't I wasn't there yet when personally, and um, I wouldn't have done it again. I, you know, I wasn't on a schedule that I should have been. My training wasn't where it should have been, and I wasn't mature enough at the time to hold myself accountable um, so I, you know, I wasn't in great shape and I was, you know, getting injured, just dumb injuries, trying to do things I shouldn't have been doing. Um, cause I wasn't in shape to do them. And, uh, it was, a, it was a rough year, really a rough year, especially following my loss in the finals. Just, I, I don't know if I ever regained my focus in my competitive years again after that. Uh, so it was, it was rough. It was rough. It was, <laughs> you know, well, yeah. So. Um, kind of playing off those last two questions when you return in the 2004, 2005 season, you only made it through the first semester before being ruled academically ineligible. Um, you know, how did that come about? And that may have been, you know, a combination of the things you explained earlier. Uh, you know, when did you find out about it? Or was that something you could see coming? Um, yeah, uh, I mean, it's, you know, I don't know if I've ever even talked to anybody about this, but, uh, you know, I had asked for a release from Purdue. Um, I had some personal things back home. I, uh, some personal things back home I, I needed to, to – well, I thought I, you know, never got the focus back. I thought there were, you know, things that I couldn't – I don't know even how to describe that. But, uh, you know, I knew I was going to fail out that first semester. I don't, I'm not sure if I even gave it a chance. And uh, it was uh, it was just a really bad situation. But uh, I knew I was going to fail out, you know, right away. I just – you know, I got a 0.0 that semester. It was very uh, disappointing. It's something – probably one of the most disappointing things was my – that academic slip, um, you know, I just really was ready to give up on wrestling and everything like that. And we had a good assistant coach at Purdue at the time who came and just, uh, you know, and he talked to me. And at that time, I, we no one no one thought I would be able to get eligible again. And I had no interest in getting eligible again. Um, you know, and his, you know, his talking to me was more, you know, personal. And it was, hey, you're never going to wrestle for us again. We understand that. You need to get, you know, your life back in order. You need to get a college degree and, you know, you know, he talked to me a lot more on a personal level about, you know, who, who, what kind of person do you want to be? What kind of father, husband, you know, down the road, what kind of person do you want to be? And are you that person right now? And if not, you need to work towards it. And, um, you know, luckily for me, my mistakes that I messed up there um, weren't 
career ending and I was able to get the opportunity to come back. And I had to take 29 degrees or 29 credits um, first semester to get back on a degree plan to, to be eligible my senior year. And that was, it was tough, but it was a hole I had dug. And uh, I, uh, I, I regained my focus a lot more academically and personally at that time. But I'm not sure if I ever got back into the, the competitive swing that I once had. And so as somebody who's coached for years now, are you able to talk about that lost season with your wrestlers and use it as kind of a coachable moment when you're faced with a wrestler that may have poor grades or you yeah, know, problems absolutely. in their personal life? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I can see it coming a lot more. I, I feel like I, I know the reasons behind it. It's not like, I mean, I don't think that it's malicious on a kid's part when his grades start slipping or things. And I think I have a lot more uh, insight to it, and I talk to our guys a lot, and, and I've seen it pay off big time with, with the academics and the personal life and the handling of issues. Um, so I, I definitely use that a lot. Um, you're probably the first person I've talked to about it outside of uh, my family and my, my personal wrestlers. Um, but uh, I think, you know, going through that and then seeing that, you know, I was human at one time and I made mistakes and it's not the end of the world, and, you know, the reasons behind it. And, um, it definitely helps. And uh, I, I think I've, you know, really used that as a positive. Um, I hope I have. So definitely use that, though, yeah, a lot. All right, so you're back on the mats in 2005, 2006, and you're attempting to make a final run at the NCAA title. You have Mac Ryder in the NCAA quarters. After getting that takedown late in the first period, you have both boots in, Ryder stands up, you're hanging off the left side, he spikes you down and gets penalized. After this, you're unable to continue. Uh, talk about your injury, your memory of those events, because it was – pretty controversial the way the whole thing ended and then mm -hmm. you came back in the semis that night and beat Sean Bunch who not too many people beat him like you had ended up beating him that night mm -hmm. yeah um you know I had torn rib cartilage uh probably about a week before the NCAAs and I wasn't even sure if I was going to wrestle in it um you know they were giving me some shots uh to help out with it but uh I remember him coming down and it just crushed it and it hurt so bad and I just remember just feeling you know just like my NCAA 2003 match you know overwhelmed again um you know I was so mad I was so mad that this might have taken my shot at NCAA title away uh, you know I wish it wouldn't have gone that way I really do you know I, I felt like I had all the momentum in that match I felt like um you know he, he wasn't pushing the pace uh you know it was my pace match my you know picking him you know where I wanted to um you know, it was, just, it, was, it was really, really frustrating for me. Um, you know, I thought I, I matched up well with Bunch, the semis. I've wrestled him a million times. I knew how to beat him. You know, uh, you know, keep a short right arm, don't get duck under it. Uh, every time he takes, you know, a certain step, or if you don't give him his, his distance where he wants his speed, you're either smothering him or you're too far away from using speed. Um, you know, I didn't have to be super mobile, I, I, I felt like, in that match. So, um, you know, it was a good matchup for me. And then in the finals, that's where my rib really affected me with my weight transfers on bottom. I, I, I feel like I could, uh, you know, weight transfer like I normally do with that, with my rib. And, uh, I, I wasn't mobile on bottom. If I could have just, you know, got out once, uh, you know, I, I think I would have won that match, but, uh, yeah, that, that rib cartilage was, was it was bad. And it was, uh, I don't know if it was how much of it was mental, how much was physical. It's, it's just a, it was a bad situation all around. And, of course, knowing that you have that injury, how did that whole rider match and the outcome affect you as you had a bunch of people booing you the next two rounds? And then maybe some of them were questioning your toughness or heart. You know, is that something mm -hmm. you're able to block out? 
yeah, you know, I didn't think about it a lot. I know how, um, you know, the Minnesota fans are. Uh, they're, you know, they love the wrestling, um, but they're not, you know, they're not the most unbiased fans in the world. Um, you know, if you're on their side, it's great. If you're not, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I, if I would have beat them in regulation, you know, they probably would have booed me anyways. Um, you know, it is what it is. I, you know, my only concern was, you know, I just wanted to win my national title and get out. I knew I was always good enough to, and I just, you know, that was kind of my focus, just, just win this and get out of here and just, um, you know, I was mentally just not probably where I needed to be, and it really didn't have a lot to do with that, I don't think. And you had uh, mentioned your finals with Matt Valenti. Um, have you ever second-guessed attempting to turn him instead of cutting him and trying for a takedown to tie it with uh, 40 seconds left in the match, or approximately 40? You know, I, I – yeah, oh, I, I mean, yeah, I uh... – you know, I definitely felt like I was better on my feet. I had wrestled him one other time before, and I beat him 15-5, and I had uh, like six or seven takedowns, but I couldn't turn him. He was one of the few guys I couldn't turn. I know he was really, uh, you know, just real solid on bottom, and I knew going into the match I wasn't going to turn him. Um, and the third period of that match, was a, it was just a blur. I, I don't even remember riding him out for the loss. Um, not something I would have done. I feel like I had a lot, of, a lot more weapons on my feet. Um, I don't know. I don't know to this day why I rode him out. I don't know. <laughs> that, that's funny you mentioned that match because I talked to Matt about a year and a half ago, and he mentioned how that was kind of redemption for him after you kicking his butt 15 to 5. And he said that was one of the worst, probably the worst loss he's ever taken uh, was mm-hmm. when you beat him that time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, for whatever that's worth. Um, after college, you, <laughs> after college, you were on the freestyle circuit for a while. Um, when did you decide to call it quits? Because this isn't like college where everyone has a definitive endpoint to their career. You know, sometimes people uh, give it up before anyone notices. Did you have a loss or an injury or some some moment that just made you think it's time? Um, you know, it was a combination of things. Um, you know, I left Purdue. I went out to Cornell to train for a year. Um, you know, they were paying me like $200 a month to, to train. It was, you know, peanuts. I didn't have a, a support system that I, I felt like I had needed. Um, you know, I had some really good tournaments where, you know, when I first moved out there, I won the Sun KSB Gallic and Roberson and, uh, you know, everyone like that. I won the OW. I, I felt fresh again. I felt like I had that focus of, you know, wanting to win, knowing, you know, to fight individual positions, everything like that. Um, you know, so I felt really good and fresh. And then after I was there for a while, you know, realizing that, uh, you know, I'm there as a training partner for the guys on the team, um, not really uh, getting the financial or the, you know, moral support that I needed. Um, I went into the world team trials and lost to Zadik in the semis, who's a silver medalist, um, you know, third period clinch. Um, you know, I just, that was my last, you know, my, my last tournament. And it was just, it was pretty frustrating with the rules. Um, you know, I, I didn't have the support system. Just I felt like, you know, things weren't stacked in my favor. Um, I didn't know if I, I, I could, I didn't know if I had it in me to compete anymore. And um, I decided not to be one of those guys that holds on too long um, when I'm not putting my full heart into it. I'm not, not, I'm not sure if I have my heart into it. So um, that was, you know, the, the last one was the world team trials. And I, I just figured to myself, um, you know, you can keep running down this road and, and, and trying, but if your heart's not in it, 
save your heart into something else. And that's when I really started, you know, concentrating on my co- coaching career and just decided, you know, all these things that you're not proud of and everything, you can use them as a positive and, uh, you know, and you can you can learn to compete in a different environment, in a different, uh, you know, a different capacity as a coach. So that's that's really what I wanted to concentrate on. I've dedicated my life since then to, to doing that. And, um, you know, it's had ups and downs as well, but I'm, you know, I, I like where I am and I'm glad I made that decision. And so you mentioned moving on to coaching. You were the head coach at Darton College for a year. Um, it was a mm-hmm. you were still pretty young compared to most head coaches. Um, mm-hmm. What were what were some of the things you learned from that season as the head coach that you've been able to carry on to future jobs? Because you were an assistant for a period of time before becoming a head mm-hmm. coach again. Yeah, and I was an assistant at Purdue. Um, you know, and I, I wanted to you know get some administrative experience and be a head. coach coach I'm still pretty young so um you know and I'm not one of those people that needs to be a division one big 10 head coach you know I, I came from a small school I went to a you know smaller or less traditional I guess big 10 school um I, I uh you know I don't have this ego where I have to coach there so I had no problem going to the junior college level um you know and I loved it the kids I had on my team were they weren't much of wrestlers, to be honest, um, but they loved wrestling more than most of my guys when I was assistant at Purdue, um, and they just didn't know about it. And you know, most of the season really was teaching these guys, you know, how guys cut weight, what weight weight, weight, weight cutting was, um, you know, doing a lot of social things with these guys. Um, you know, they'd never been to Washington D.C., so we took them to Washington D.C. You know, they had never seen snow, so we found a, a tournament up north so they could see snow, and it was a lot more, um, you know not a technical coaching as much as it was just trying to get these guys to, you know, become a family and learn about the sport. And it was really eye opening to me, the different aspects of college coaching. Um, you know, so, uh, I, I, that's my favorite year. I keep in touch with, you know, 90% of those guys. Um, I, I love them and uh, it was, it was huge for me. And then, um, you know, I had the, I would like, I would have liked to stay down there as a head coach longer. Um, but I did have the opportunity to go back to Purdue as a head. There's a you know assistant coach, um, you know going back from a head coach and assistant. But uh, it was my dream to always coach at Purdue, my alma mater, and I couldn't pass it up. So I did. I did go back as an assistant. Um, probably not the right decision for me at the time, but it's 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 tough to not go back to your alma mater. You know, when you're lucky enough to be able to coach wrestling and coach at your alma mater, you're a pretty lucky person. So I uh, I felt like it was an opportunity I needed to pursue. And so you went back to Purdue, and when uh, Scott Hinkle resigns and Tony yeah. Erslin's hired, um, mm-hmm. you move on. Uh, how difficult is it leaving that school after you've spent so much uh, time at that place? Um, you know, as a you know, I I love going there, and I love Purdue, and I'm always going to root for Purdue. But um, with the current administration there, um, you know, I, I was probably going to leave after that season anyways. I just did not. I, I didn't need to be there. Um, you know, I don't think that they were uh, they were in line with what we were trying to do. Um, so it, it's uh, you know it's tough to leave your alma mater, but I you know I had a really good opportunity down here. Um, you know we have a phenomenal school. Uh, our wrestling room is um, you know I think it's nicer than what I had at Purdue. Our budget's really really good. Um, you know I, I am not micromanaged to the degree that I was there. Uh, everything just seems. To me, I'm a lot happier of a person um, down here and as a coach. So I, I it was difficult to leave your alma mater, but at the end, I, I know that was the right decision, and uh, everything happens for a reason. And uh, 
you know, it's good. It's good for me. And that kind of leads me and my next question was going to be, you know, what was attractive to you about uh, coming to the University of Cumberland's before the 2014-15 season? Yeah, um, you know, I, I I wasn't sure how serious I was about this job when I applied for it. Uh, Mark Cody told me one time, you know, apply for as many positions, interview, you know, helps you touch up your resume, you never know, you get your, practice your interview skills. So I was like, I'll go down, I'll practice my interview skills. Um, you know, I was able to see the budget, the wrestling room. Um, you know, I knew they had a women's wrestling. I didn't really, wasn't, you know, I'd never coached women. I wasn't sure how comfortable I'd be coaching women, but I found out they have their own wrestling room. We have our own wrestling room. We have our own locker rooms, offices, coaching staff. I mean, it's totally separate, which, you know, really is a testament to the support that they show down here of their, uh, you know, their sports. And, you know, everything was just really great. It was out in nature. Um, I love the small town. Just everything. Like, when I came down, I was like, wow. I, I was I was blown away. Um, you know, and I had been, you know, talking to some other schools, but I was like, you know, a head coaching job with, you know, the budget, the pay, and the, the atmosphere. I, I can't turn this down, and I accepted it a few days later. And, uh didn't even pursue anything else, but, uh, you know, I love it down here. And we actually have some, you know, amazing recruits coming down next year. It'll be a really great year for us. We're redshirting some right now, but, uh, you know, we're building something nice still. Now, it would seem like there would be a big culture shock going from the Big Ten to NAIA school in the southern part of the country, but you seem very happy and very optimistic about uh, where you're at right now. Yeah, you know, um, the culture shock for me, I, I'm not, I don't know, I don't need to be in a city. I don't need to be at a big school. You know, so we, we have some kids that, you know, they're not quite as experienced at Division One, Big Ten, but, you know, they work just as hard and, uh, you know, they love wrestling. A lot of them love wrestling a lot more, and they're not doing it necessarily for the same reasons maybe as a Division One guy, but, uh, you know, they love wrestling. We have some guys that compete at the Division One level, but, um, you know, it's just uh, it's more fulfilling fulfilling for me down here as a coach, Um than it, than it was when I was at Purdue or Cornell or anywhere else that I've ever been. Um, I, I'm very happy. I love it down here. You know. And you you would briefly mention that uh, your your school offers a women's wrestling program. Although yep. you're not the coach, although you're not the coach of the team, do you believe that uh, schools offering a women's wrestling program is ultimately a direction that more schools should go in in respect to the long term health and growth of our sport? I mean, it's not for every school, um, definitely not for every school, but, that you know, it works down here phenomenal, and you're seeing amazing growth. Um, and there's some really good coaches in women's wrestling, and, uh, you know, those women, they compete hard. So I think that uh, depending on your school, yeah, I think it's uh, it's a good thing, and I think you're seeing really good growth at, you know, the smaller faith-based schools especially. Um, but, yeah, I think it's great, and I think you're seeing the growth in it. It's really, you know, even at the high school level, you know, there's states that are sanctioning it. And, uh, you know, we have a great relationship with our women's program here. We go and watch their matches. They come watch ours. And, uh, you, know, we, um, you know, we talk with the coaches every day, and he's, he's a great guy, and we try to share philosophies and everything like that. But, uh, you know, he, he, uh, he deals with some problems I don't deal with, and I deal with some problems he doesn't deal with, you know, being male and female. But, um, you know, definitely depending on your school, if, if you know, it works, it's, it's great for the sport. Okay, the last question I have for you, and this may be a tough one, but uh, how would you like for people to remember Chris Flieger as a wrestler uh, and just, you know, your overall career? Oh, that is a tough one. That one is a tough one. You know, when I when I first, I guess, went to college, 
that's how I, I, I want to be remembered as a person that wasn't scared to lose or go, you know, whatever way, um, you know, wanted to compete was, you know, going out there to win, not to necessarily lose. And, um, you know, I feel like I lost that along the way and I'm very disappointed that I did. Uh, but that's how I would ultimately like to be remembered. Um, you know, it's just, uh, someone who was going out there to, to win fearless, you know, laser focused. So I'm going to go out there, I'm going to take it. And I'm not going to be scared of anyone. Okay. Yeah, is there anything else? That's a tough one. Though. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything else that you'd like for people to know about you that we haven't covered uh, or the school? No, I think you had some uh, pretty good questions, pretty in depth. Okay. Well, thanks a lot to Chris Flieger for joining us on the Sudden History Podcast. Good luck to you and the Cumberland Patriots the rest of the season. All right. I appreciate you having me on. All right. Thanks, Chris. Thanks.